This is Roy Hales with Cortez Currents, which you can also access at cortezcurrents.ca. The Friends of Cortez Island, or Foci, was something talked about in the past tense when Dolores Broughton and Don Malcolm moved to Cortez Island in 1987. In the first of a series of podcasts about the origins of Foci, Broughton talks about the 1990 logging blockade that inspired Foci's rebirth, as well as an award-winning environmental magazine called the Watershed Sentinel. We had had an attempt at homesteading up north in the Hazelton area, which was absolutely wonderful. But when the potatoes froze for the second time on June 30th, it was a little discouraging. <laughs> so we decided we wanted to move back to the coast. And it took us a long time to find anything suitable. But finally, we found Cortez, and we liked what we could see of the values at the time. And we found a piece of land that we could almost afford. I think it was $15,000 or something ridiculous at the time. Bruce Ellingson helped us find it, and that was it. We moved in, started logging. (laughs) Don sold hundreds of cords of firewood, and we sold a whole truckload of alder to um, Billy Emery, who lived down by the ferry. I know Foci was around when you arrived. What are your first memories of it? Foci died. I mean, there was a Friends of Cortez Island that had got the little island in the middle of Hague Lake. They didn't file their society papers, so they were way out of compliance. And we found out that it was easier to start a new one than to try and resurrect that old one because it had just evaporated. So we started a new one. It must have been 1990 or 1991. Who is we? Siobhan Robinson, Sedley Sweeney, me, and Lizzie, whose last name I can't remember. We felt we needed a nonprofit because the forestry was very active. It was right after the first blockade or the big blockade called in all the forestry groups from all the little islands in Georgia Strait. And we had a great conference. We actually formed friendships from that. Operate to this day, the, the Islands Alliance, we called ourselves. One of them, anyway, is on the board of the Watershed Sentinel to this day. There's lots of people. It was a network. And once you make connections, those connections stay. To what extent... Was the logging blockade responsible for the rebirth of Foci? Oh, well, I think it was quite responsible in that we needed a legal entity. We needed a way to collect funds. That was, we were going to be a registered charity and we thought we were a registered charity for a little while, started issuing tax receipts and everything. But that it turned out we were only a BC society. So then we had to go through the whole registered charity, which was quite complicated. 
because we'd already been issuing tax receipts. So you issued tax receipts, which were no good. Then what happened? We got a lawyer. (laughs) Were people upset? No, it wasn't that kind of thing. The money was going straight to the forestry fight in lots of different ways. We had to hire foresters. We brought in Merv Wilkinson and Harold, the small woodlot owners guy from here, from, from the valley. We brought in a bunch of traveling foresters. We gave talks. We gave lectures. We did forest tours with foresters. And all of that takes money. So the money was going directly where it was supposed to go. No problem. And then when we could give tax receipts, it was even easier because then we started hiring Herb Ham. Herb, Herb did a whole ecological logging plan for the island. Foci money basically paid for that. Then we branched out, of course. <laughs> I got involved with the Georgia Strait Alliance about water quality and that kind of thing. And then I founded Reach for Unbleached. And Reach for Unbleached was a foci project at first until we grew up. We did a booklet on history of Cortez, and we did a booklet on sustainable living in the Gulf Islands, which was about solar panels and that kind of stuff. We did a lot of work. (laughs) When are you talking about? The 90s. 1990, maybe 91 to, let me see to the end of the 90s anyway. And and by then, Sabina was doing the uh, foreshore monitoring to look for consistency of species in a grid of habitats, like a regular scientific monitoring. And then there was the contracts for looking after the parks. None of this is big money, <laughs> it's, but it was different people doing different things, all coming together under FOCI for funding contracts, because we had a legal structure, tax receipts. I remember one of our first FOCI board meetings before we were a registered charity, and it was going to cost us big money for the lawyer, but someone was paying for us. I remember Siobhan explaining to the FOCI board, Hubert Havilar was on there, Nori from Hollyhock Garden, Anyways, Siobhan's saying, so we can become a registered charity and give people tax receipts, and they can deduct their donations from their taxes. And everybody looked at her like, tax receipts? Taxes? (laughs) The whole board didn't make enough money to pay taxes. (laughs) It was so funny. (laughs) But we did it anyway. And um, it was quite successful. I think it's been a very successful organization. 1991 or 1992, somebody paid for Don and I to take a trip down the California coast. How sweet can that be? We took our van. The idea was to spread the issue about the pulp mill bleaching because we had to swing the market to recycle or chlorine-free paper. The pulp mills were creating dioxin that was going to close down our shellfish industry. So that was self defense, really. We went down the coast from eco center to eco center to eco center, 
all the way down the coast to Northern California. Book publishers were doing a thing called the Catalyst newspaper, which was a free tabloid that they did every couple of months. And they had done an issue on Reach for Unbleached. Everywhere we went down the coast, people said, yes, we know about this because we have this tabloid. And if they didn't, we gave them copies, of course. It was a very interesting time. Broughton remembers some of the steps leading to the foci that most Cortez Islanders recognize today. Kathy Smale became their executive director, coordinator. I remember she was working in my house and I trained her. Then Hubert and Roland and some other guys built that little foci house and it was over at Sedley's place the Fulci office that's at Manson's now. It was built to be moved. But there are several threads to this story, which seems to begin when Mac Blow arrived in Squirrel Cove during 1990. Was everybody in the blockade? I don't remember. There were so many people. At one point I calculated it was like 70% of the adult population at that blockade at some point or other. Tell me about the blockade. What started it? We'd been having negotiations with Macmillan Bodell. They owned about a fifth of the island at the time. And we were having meetings and trying to swing them over to selective logging or selection logging or something less than clear cutting and spraying herbicides all over the place. So we were meeting and meeting and meeting. We had some lovely community meetings. Cortez community meetings are a joy in every sense. And I think it was the day before Earth Day, Macmillan Liddell announced they were going to start clear cutting. Well, we hadn't done anything on the island for Earth Day that year. So that was a really good day to announce that you were going to start clear cutting. These guys had no PR sense. It was going to be a big clear cut over by Squirrel Cove. And the Clahoos was not in favor of having a huge clear cut right above their village. Most of the loggers were from off island. That helped a lot. But everyone was there and we were up on the hill where they had just started to do a little bit of cutting. And we'd stay there, the loggers would try to come in, and we'd turn them back. People took their kids out of school to come to the blockade. And most of the time, it was kind of fun. It got dreary, because it rains. <laughs> but it was fun. Then Matt Blow started negotiating, and Rex Weiler was doing the negotiating for the Forest Committee. I think he was down in the, the old band hall, but I, I can't quite remember Anyway, he'd talk to Mac Blow, and then he'd come back up the hill and say, okay, don't budge. I've told them you're not budging. Don't budge. <laughs> we did this for quite a while, and finally we got a memorandum of understanding that Mac Blow never really quite acknowledged properly, but we did get a memorandum of understanding. They, they never disputed it, but they never really said, yeah, that's what we said. So it's kind of... But anyway, we got that MOU, and after that, it was a question of years and years and years of the Forest Committee doing negotiations. Long, tedious 
meetings and meetings and meetings. But there were some fun times. There was the time that um, I think it was Raven was going to clear cut over by, gosh, I cannot remember the name of the creek. They only owned about 40 acres. They were going to clear cut this, but it just happened to be a time when we were having a Enviro conference at Hollyhock and there were people there from the Fisherman's Union. Vicky Husband was there from the Sierra Club. So the, we did this big thing where those bigwigs came over and when the Raven Foresters were coming and they went, like, what the hell Sierra Club and the Fisherman's Union doing on Cortez? So they were there throwing their stuff around. And was it Linnea or was it the Clahoose Fish Guardians? And the Linnea kids decided it was exactly the right day to release their fry into the creek. So they did. And all of the buses there with all these little kids. And then the chief of Clahoose at the time took the forester for a little walk and said, look, that tree is actually in the creek. You can't do this. So altogether, it was a... Um, smashing success that was another one of the cortez circuses right <laughs> now where are we with foci in this foci had nothing to do with that you asked about forestry okay. the activist side was up to the forest committee there was quite a clear definition because foci by then was a registered charity and there are things registered charities can't do you were in both from the sound of it yeah i was um the communications person for the forest committee and I was doing a regular newsletter which was distributed free in all the mailboxes on Cortez which wasn't always that well received <laughs> I mean a lot of people said gee Dolores thanks for the fire starter but we kept doing that because we didn't have Cortez radio we didn't have the communication tools that Cortez has now. I was doing a newsletter from the forest committee and, you know, local artists, I remember Brig was doing some artwork. Lots of people were doing artwork and we interviewed a lot of the old timers in that newsletter. And some of the old timers would write us letters saying, you guys don't know what the hell you're doing. You're crazy. And we'd publish them because ethical, although some people didn't understand why I insisted on doing that, but we did. Then eventually, when you put your head above water, or in those days anyway, when you put your head above water as an enviro or a forestry person or anything like that, you got all this information coming in from off-island. One of the things that came in was the pulp pollution campaign that West Coast Environmental Law was heading, and Georgia Strait Alliance started sending info. And there was so much info that didn't really fit into the forestry newsletter. I mean, it was jet, everything's connected anyway, but this stuff didn't quite fit. So Don and I spent all of Christmas and New Year's thinking we should start a magazine. 
because the magazine can carry all of those subjects, which I wanted to share with people and which were quite relevant, especially the pulp pollution. We thought and thought and thought, and then we thought about names, and we had about 20 different names. And finally, Don came up with Watershed Sentinel, which I liked because it sort of combines the news aspect and the eco aspect. So we published the Watershed Sentinel. And it was a foci publication at first. But we were just going through that um, discussion with Revenue Canada about charitable status. I remember talking to the woman from RevCan and she said, publishing the news is not a charitable activity. So I bought the magazine from Foci for a dollar and we went on. We photocopied it wherever we could get a photocopier. I burnt out about three copy machines doing it. At the time, the doctor's office was in Manson's Hall. So after it was closed, we'd go in and put all the, the stacks of paper on the examining table and collate them there. <laughs> Trudeau was a really big help with that. And Gloria, York, and people were so helpful. Eventually, we started getting subscriptions from off-island. Ruth Masters, here from the Valley, was one of our very first subscribers. And Merv Wilkinson subscribed, and people started subscribing. So then eventually, we went to a web press in Victoria, and gradually, 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 over 30 years we finally became the magazine we are now. All we had was labor. We didn't have any money. We didn't have anything. So that's how we developed. As the Watershed Sentinel, you know and love today. Roten and her partner were forced to move to Courtney in 2007 for medical reasons, but kept working with Cortez projects. I did a lot of work around the recycling and the free store and all of that put a lot of effort into that and a lot of grant kind of things because Foci had the structure to be able to accommodate all of those kinds of projects, whether it was forest inventory or foreshore or recycling. So like it sort of worked as a hub for, for all of that stuff. So let me see. So, 2010, 2012, I came back even after I had moved once or twice to the Foci meetings. There was one really embarrassing meeting where they were reading out the early minutes of Foci, like the beginnings of Foci, and they read the first minutes. And they said, note, the backup files are in Dolores's outhouse. <laughs> no, no, they were in a tin can. <laughs> well, because of fire, right? Right. <laughs> there was no internet cloud. There was no internet. To this day, every Foci member receives a free subscription to the Watershed Sentinel. This is Roy Hales with Cortez Currents. Goodbye. <laughs>